Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka BlenderEd, BlenderHD on Twitter, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass available at theoryofdfs.com. It applies to any sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, esports even. Uh, it is the the overall game theory of daily fantasy sports broken down into 10 plus chapters involving leverage, correlation, lineup construction, uh, risk management, all of the general concepts and theory of playing the game uh, on a on a professional level as a profitable player. So go check that out. It's it's available now. And on this podcast, we typically cover broad subjects, the application of the theory as it relates to past slates or in general trends uh, in, in the DFS industry amongst any sport. And join with me, the the newly married <laughs> Eric Bimefor, who probably, uh, I'm going to assume, uh, paid more attention to to your wedding than your Sunday NFL lineups. I did. I pretty much spent the weekend uh, laying on my couch and recovering from a, a, a fun, a fun couple of days. But it was good. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean, uh, it's like a bittersweet, right? It, that was like my few days away from DFS for the last, like, well, since I guess sports came back. And it was kind of nice, like not talking to all these shit bums on Twitter and like not dealing with people in Slack and Discord and just like escaping from the world. And having a good time, you know, with friends and family, that was, it was, it was great. But I'm, I'm, I'm also like kind of excited, you know, get back into the group. It's, it's what I enjoy doing. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. And they, they announced that NBA opening. Yeah. Opening is uh, December 22nd. So we won't, we won't really have a dead period in between. I mean, we never were. I mean, we expected them to start in January at least. So, I mean, you get playoff slates, but I mean, as far as, as the, the the end of DFS, the end of NFL DFS, as far as like classic slates with a lot of mm-hmm. games on it, you know, corresponding with with NBA, we go just right into it, and you know, we'll be we'll be doing this podcast every week, and you know, kind of maybe transition over to you know concepts as it relates to to NBA slates mm-hmm. more than not, and uh, especially you know, we'll probably be talking a lot about late swap. Yeah. When it comes to NBA or how to react to, to news and how the field reacts to news more so than we do NFL. But uh, just to, to preview next week's podcast, uh, I'm going to assume that because this this is very unique NFL slate coming up this coming Sunday, where there's five early games and six late games, we usually get like the skew where it's like eight and three or nine and two, you know, where the right. late games are like, oh, like you're watching Red Zone and they could barely find some place to go for the coverage. Uh, I, I I think uh, both the early and late slates make for good GPP slates because at least there's mm-hmm. there's more games. And I think uh, looking at your lineup for, for the main classic slate, uh, it, you, you have to be a lot more cognizant of optionality than you would be. Yep. Which I, which we talked, you know, we've talked about, was that last episode or the episode before? I don't know. I have a terrible memory of keeping those things straight, but I think it's a, a really, really important factor. We went pretty in depth on it before. And like, you know, people think about late swap, you know, probably too, too simply, 
Um, whereas going into a slate like we have this this coming week, it's almost as important. Like you said, optionality and all these, you know, I like call them if then statements, right? Like, you know, depending on how my slate starts or depending on how um, you know, the plays that I play work out to start versus how the plays that, you know, I don't play work out. So like this past week as an example, you know, if you if we had the like what six or seven games on the afternoon slate this past week and you you played Dalvin Cook, you're in a very different you're in a very different situation than if you didn't play Dalvin Cook. And like having but like a lot of people and like even people that I talk to, they're like freaking out about this at you know two PM on on Sunday. Like, oh you know, and, and, and your mind's not like there, you're not ready to make those decisions. So like I think it's really important kind of this next level GPP strategy of going into the slate and and already having like this plan of attack for all these different variables, as opposed to just, you know, picking your best plays. And then, oh, sh- and then even if you are going to be the 1% of people that use late swap, it's just like a panic swap, you know, as opposed to going in with a, with a sound plan to, to really maximize your EV on a slate. Yeah. I made that mistake this past slate. I made, I made the exact, the exact mistake. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have mattered. Okay. I, let, yeah. let me just put it at, no matter what I've done, it, I I wouldn't have gotten to the cash line with with my main lineup. I I, I yeah. horrible horrible. I mean, when when all your players get injured, you know, that that's, <laughs> that's, that's, it, it ends up happening that way. But yeah. I I made the decision not to play Dalvin Cook in cash games, to go for the cheaper running back build mm-hmm. and pay up at wide receiver, which I I don't think is I think is perfectly viable. You can mm-hmm. make the case that. Uh, punting one of your wide receiver slots with a, like a Marcus Johnson type was, mm-hmm. you know, him plus cook was better than, than a cheap running back plus a mid range wide receiver. It, we can make, we can make that argument all you want. But the thing that I didn't take into account enough was I knew Dalvin cook would be chalk in cash games. And yeah. I should have left myself more than one slot for the late games. Cause mm-hmm. I was considering, uh, I've always said, even this year, that Tyler Lockett is not like his. He's very volatile. People look at him as uh, a good game environment. It's sixty, sixty-eight hundred. He projected as the second highest wide receiver on the slate. So Julio mm-hmm. was one, uh, Lockett was two, and Allen was three. Allen's in the late game. Uh, I should have instead of played Lockett, played Allen, if I was fading Dalvin Cook, because then at least I know what Cook's score is. But I, I thought of it, I thought of that, but then I thought, well, now I'm also fading a chalky Tyler Lockett. Right. But I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily mind that as much because you had Keenan Allen there anyway. <clears throat> so it's like, well, I mean, I'm expecting Keenan Allen to get 12 targets regardless in that game. So worst case scenario, I could match Lockett's score. But now I'm leaving myself when I play Lockett and no Cook. I, I, I just, I just have one slot in my flex. Like I have no... I have no wiggle room. If I have Justin Jackson in my flex and Allen in my wide receiver slot, I could then at least see what was the ownership on Lockett? What was the ownership on Julio? So I could gauge Allen ownership, right? Because then I can, yep. I can still leave it with Allen and just say, well, Lockett got eight points. Let me play Allen because I could see mm-hmm. that Allen's going to come in at like 15 to 20% owned and not 30 to 35% owned. And I'm gaining leverage because I need points that I didn't get from Cook. And that would be, it still wouldn't have mattered. I mean, like even that, that 20 point difference wouldn't have got me there either. So like, I'm not going by the results. I'm just going by like the mindset was that if I'm going to fade a a ceiling 
player, which is at 8,200, Dalvin Cook, you know, has a ceiling. From a median perspective, I thought I could build a better lineup without him from a median mm-hmm. perspective. Of course, the 70-yard touchdown run on top of his 28 points, like that 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 sealed the deal there, but it gives me more information. If Cook ended up with 20 yep. points, like now at least if 20 points for Cook and eight for Lockett, it's like, okay, now, now I'm good. Now... Now I'm just, I'm going to play Keenan Allen. I'm going to block Justin Jackson. And I should be good at that point. But I've just, I've I've not left myself the opportunity to make that mm-hmm. decision. Now, if I'm fading someone that's not going to be high chalk, like if, I, if I'm going to fade, uh, I mean, it could be like Noah Fant or her, like one of the tight ends, mm-hmm. where I didn't, yeah. I didn't think that it's going to be ridiculous ownership or anything, especially tight ends or defenses or even quarterback, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, like if I play Drew Locke instead of Josh Allen, I mean they're both at the same time. Like, I they're they're not high enough owned. Like yeah. Cook was high enough owned that that if given the choice between Lockett and Allen being there close enough together, I think I should have sided for optionality <clears throat> instead of just well if I'm not going to play Cook at least let me play Lockett because he's also going to be like fifty percent owned in cash. That I I I played too much. I played too conservatively. Mm-hmm. Like if I if once I decide to fade Cook, I should just be like, well, I'm I'm off most likely the chalk build, so yeah. I might as well just be off the chalk build and not even bother play Lockett and just I'll I'll let it be a four v four rather than a two v two. In the case that do you understand what I'm saying? Like if, if I'm uh-huh. gonna be if I know if I'm knowingly gonna be off the chalk build. I'd rather be off the chalk build at a, at a 4v4 level than a 2v2 level. It's two things, I think. Uh, the first is people will make those decisions kind of like the process of what you were deciding on, like Lockett versus Allen and all that. You know, So you had already made that decision on Dalvin, and people will, people will then not take the rest of their lineup into account when they're, when they're making that decision. You know, Even for cash, people, people actually probably do it more for, for tournaments because they're cognizant of like, you know, uh, stacking and all that shit. But in, in cash, people will think about the locket thing and, and, and locket versus Allen thing and just think literally in a vacuum between those two guys, you know, Oh, the range of outcomes, you know, ownership, whatever. And those things are clearly important. You just outline them and why, but that last, like, you know, that last factor of I'm already off of this chalk bill that I expect an overwhelming majority of my opponents to have i've pulled that first lever right i've pulled that first lever moving up moving away from from this chalk build so i should then be i need these i need to pull these other levers too to give my to like i'm once i've already moved off of that build i, I can't be afraid to utilize these other levers which is which is kind of basically like waiting right i'm waiting to get as much information as i can with a very similar play okay lock it projects for a point more or whatever it, you know th- that doesn't really th- that doesn't really matter, but what does matter once you've already pulled that first lever is now having access to m- to more information because you know that you're different. You know it's it, then now now it's a case of I need to understand it when when the 4 p.m. games hit where where do I stand and what do what decisions do I need to make and so like that's that last little you know like one out of four levers that people don't typically pull in cash games that you did what two weeks ago or whatever that um, you know that worked for you and a lot of people did. Right. You know, with various different swaps, everybody had different um, things, whether there was like Metcalf and DJ Dallas, all that shit. But like this week was a a week that I don't, you know, like 
we talked extensively about it. And this week it was t- a little tougher because of the afternoon games that we had, but it was still available. Like you said, there was Keenan Allen. Obviously, Justin Jackson was one of the highest owned players on the slate. There was, you know, the Cardinals, the Cardinals Dolphins game had had playable, playable pieces. And then, and then there's like other Chargers options or or or, you know, Josh Jacobs. The list goes on and on. There, there were actually options, just people didn't feel as comfortable with them. So um, I don't think people considered it necessarily enough. I mean, I, I, I only, I only played, um, I actually played some, some, some cash um, and I, I had the, had the same thing, but I did play Dalvin. So I wasn't like, I wasn't like sweating it, but you know, I didn't consider it a ton for, for tournaments either. I did have two, I did look at some swap options. I had two players late, but um, I think it was just and it, like, most people didn't think about it as much this week. So um, now we'll bounce back to week 10 or whatever, where, you know, it, uh, it should be on fresh on everybody's mind. Like there's a shit ton of afternoon, afternoon games and you are really going to have to be thinking about it. Right. Cause with one slot I had available at 4,900, it's like Jackson rugs. I mean, I like, if I had Allen there, I could have swapped flex to James Connor, put mm-hmm. Mike Williams in the wide receiver slot. I mean, cause he's still that Pittsburgh Dallas game. We yep. had, we still had the notion that we think Zeke is playing, but who knows? Maybe at three o'clock, yeah. not good. And now Pollard yeah. becomes available and, mm-hmm. and he's, and then you pivot off of Jackson to him. You still, you still have like Deontay Johnson. You could play in a flex. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they were options. Christian Kirk, if needed, right. Christian Kirk had a yep. great game. I could have, I could have done that. Uh, yep. But with only one slot, you can't go up and like, it's just like you're stuck in that spot. And if I'm choosing between, if I don't believe Lockett and Allen have that big of a difference, I should have sided with optionality, even though mm-hmm. my projections would say that Lockett is is nearly a point higher in median, and obviously twice his own. So, like, I it I didn't want to go come across as like the week before as like, well, I'm so smart, I made late swaps and <laughs> and I'm better than you, or I planned for it, but it's like, no, mm-hmm. I I made a mistake. I made it, mm-hmm. and and it still wouldn't have mattered. So it's not like, yeah. oh, if I, yes, I would have won some a little bit more of my head-to-heads, but I still would have had a a, a, a big losing week. But mm-hmm. I think that I wanted to highlight on, on this past week uh, a concept that, that we, we cover in the psychology chapter of the course, which you can get at theoryofdfs.com. And it's probably, it's probably the biggest hurdle for, for most DFS players. Uh, whether or not you're experienced or not, I mean, it, we, we succumb to this regardless, and that's confirmation bias. Confirmation bias before a slate and confirmation bias after a slate. And it's very similar. This, th- this bias that I'm going to uh, talk about now is probably related to sampling bias as well as survivorship bias. And uh, it's, it comes into like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read off. And I'm not. I'm not saying these things as as a knock on all the shows that I've listened to last week, but I I made a list of all the things that I heard multiple times on industry podcasts, analysts, season long DFS, and I mean I listened to fantasy football in general of uh, people analyzing the football games as opposed to playing DFS as a strategy game. So uh, Dalvin Cook. Well, the Detroit run defense is horrible, right? So you, you got to play Dalvin Cook. It doesn't 80, 80, 8,200, 82,000. You got You got to play Dalvin Cook. Uh, James Conner, the Dallas run defense is awful, right? The Dallas defense in general is awful. 
You got you to gotta play James Conner. How, how is he not a lock, okay? Well, obviously, Cook destroyed uh, the Detroit run defense. So that happened. Uh, Pittsburgh got down to Dallas as a huge favorite, <laughs> and Conner was barely on the field. He ended up with four points. Uh, we had, uh, who's what's going to happen with Galladay out with uh, Quintus Cephas being active? Is Cephas going to step in? We saw those two games at the beginning of the season. Cephas, Marvin Hall was just special teams. But since in the last game, Cephas was inactive, Hall got, got Galladay's role because who else is going to get it? Because they don't have mm-hmm. another wide receiver. Uh, it turns out that it didn't matter. Amendola got those targets. So so it didn't <laughs> matter who you picked. Marvin Hall actually got more routes, I believe. But yeah. it, it didn't even matter. Uh, uh, Blake is Ridley's direct backup, right? We saw in the past games that when Jones is out, Zacchaeus comes mm. in. When R- Ridley comes out, Blake comes in. When Gage comes out, Powell comes in. Well, apparently this game, Zacchaeus comes in no matter what. And Blake <laughs> got, what, eight snaps, five five routes or something? Yeah. And Zacchaeus is the one with the the 100-yard game and a touchdown. But I heard that multiple times. Christian Blake, Christian, oh, Blake, yeah. he's gonna, oh, he's gonna, because it based on these two games, we're gonna go base all of our thing on these two games. Uh, Marcus Johnson is gonna get T.Y. Hilton's uh, routes, right? Marcus Johnson was the cheap uh, mm-hmm. wide receiver, and that ended up being true. He actually got a ton yep. of air yards and just didn't, you know, they didn't connect. But that actually turned out to be uh, correct. Johnson got got most of the work. Uh, here, here, here's, here's the one you heard probably more than anything else. You got to play Lockett against the Buffalo slot funnel, right? Tredavious white shadow coverage on Metcalf. Yeah. How do you play Metcalf? You got to play Lockett over. Obviously they're going to throw to Lockett because white's going to lock down Metcalf. You know, what happened? Turns out white didn't shadow Metcalf. And even if he did, Metcalf beat him anyway. So (laughs) Metcalf had, had, had more, way more points than Lockett has the snowflake. Uh, you can't play Terry McLaurin against uh, Bradbury uh, Shadow, right? Like he's gonna or or whatever on his side. McLaurin had a, a monster game. Twenties, yep. of course, it mostly came on one play, but that's all you need as a wide receiver. He's a great wide receiver, right? All you need is one play. Okay, uh, DJ Dallas uh, now with Homer much healthier and uh, Alex Collins from the from the practice squad. He's not going to be like a bell cow. And that turned out to be correct. It turns out he also got the got the short touchdown. So, yeah. I mean, but he only saw, I think, like 36% of snaps. So that was right. that was that was correct analysis that DJ Dallas was unlikely to be some type of bell cow for the Seahawks. And then uh with with uh, Ingram still out, we saw the game before that J.K. Dobbins got all that got work, and maybe you know, he's gonna see an increased workload. No, turns out Gus Edwards is it's the J.K. Dobbins did exactly what he did. He just was efficient the last game and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. So I listened to a whole bunch of stuff. Some of them were right. Some of them were wrong. Uh, if you were to list these out before Sunday slate, would you be able to tell which ones were going to be right and which ones are going to be wrong? No, of course not. Right. It could, it could All those other things could have happened in the, the complete opposite way. So I just want to right. list those out uh, based on this, this, this past slate as – Whenever you try to get and and I don't take it away from the people that analyze the football games, the te- the watch the tape people. Okay, so there's nothing against them. It's just that if there if there's three main skills, two main skills in playing DFS, which should you spend more time on? How to exploit your opponents? How to properly line up construct? Or trying to predict the future? 
and what's going on inside. And let, unless you're actually at close practice and see what plays they're running, because then that's a humongous edge. Because a lot of times in DFS, we're just trying to predict what the coaches are going to do. And we can't even assume that they're rational, right? Because they should be doing this and they don't. So I take a look at these things and go, if if, if you're going to go and sit and go, well, Blake, based on a two-game sample size, based on a five-game sample size, based on, like, if, this is why we excoriate BVP in, in MLB, right? Batter versus pitcher. It's like even in a 53 at bat sample size, that's that's not that where people like Cardi say BVP is real. It's just that on in these small sample size, you wouldn't know what which ones are real and which ones aren't. And right. that's the point that I'm bringing up with these examples of like you're going to study the tape and you're going to base your your decisions on a very small sample size. Sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong, but you have to hit three times. So three times, meaning you have to get it right, right? You have to get who, who's going to play Hilton snaps. Is it going to be Hilton? Is it going to be uh, Johnson or Hall? Is it going to be Blake? Zacchaeus Powell? Is it going to, is it going to be that? Is it going to be that Lockett gets 20 targets in the slot and Metcalf sitting there with nothing, right? Is is that going to happen? The second thing is, is the player going to capitalize on that? Like Marcus Johnson, the analysis was right. Marcus Johnson ended up basically playing T.Y. Hilton's role. Still only scored four, five points, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't capitalize on it. Of course, seeing that that, that happened, yes, uh, Marcus Johnson at 3000 was underpriced. So I think it's a correct decision. It didn't work out. So I don't want to use the results as, well, that was stupid to do. No, that, that one turned out to be right. And then the third thing is that now... You got the got the analysis right. The player capitalized on the opportunity. Now they have to be in a lineup that you could win money on, right? Yeah. It just like you could be right, and like there are so many times in 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 Discord where someone says, "Oh, look at my great call." And I said, "How much money did you win?" They said, "Oh, not much." So I said, "So so what does it matter? You made a great call. Great. Now you could brag to your friends. You could go on Twitter and and, and be be ahead." and pat yourself on the back. But if, if it doesn't translate into money, to me, trans, the, the game theory of DFS translates into money more mm-hmm. often than me trying to trying to predict what the teams are going to do. So this confirmation bias, this survivorship bias, right? People are like, oh, it's such an easy call playing Dalvin Cook against the Lions at 8,200. Or, you know, uh, it's such an easy call to play uh, 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 whatever whatever it would be. That's like, well, now you're you're picking out the ones that you got right. How about the ones that you got wrong? <clears throat> like, how, like you don't hear about that. You don't hear about. You only hear about the survivors. You don't hear about yep. the bad ones. And then you, then the call doesn't matter because you didn't. Like, great. So, uh, oh yeah, and I, and, right, I made the great call and I stacked the game and lost because it's like, okay, well, no, you needed that guy as a one-off, or you, or that guy uh, still like Chase Edmonds, for instance, this past week, like. He ended up seeing ninety six percent of snaps, right? I mean, like, like if you if you made the call of like, well, they're not going to just play him in the Drake role; they're just going to make him a bell cow. Like, you got it right, and he didn't capitalize on it. He had like the lowest mm-hmm. score you could possibly get of yeah. someone that had twenty eight touches in a game. But if you played him in a lineup, I mean, if it, the thing is, is that it could have easily been the other way. James Connor could have played ninety six percent of snaps, right? It could have been. Mm-hmm. 
the game script could just flip on its head on one play and like everything goes out the window, right? The Ravens could have ran, ran Dobbins more than Edwards. They could have not. I just, if you look, look at your whole, the whole time you're prognosticating as a long, long term, you're most likely to get half right and half wrong. And mm-hmm. it, when it comes to game theory, if you're, if you're down to a decision where half the time you get it right and half the time you get it wrong, you're essentially flipping a hole so imagine if if that's the case. Imagine me telling you uh, to if you're going to decide between multiple players to just flip. Don't even watch the games. Don't even make any. Don't even care about what the coaches are going to do. And flipping a coin is going to be just as successful. Then why you why are you spending that time doing it? Like that, that's the concept. It's not that it's not valuable or it is valuable or you could get it right 52% of the time. So there's a little (laughs) bit of edge, but I don't want to debate the semantics of it, but the general concept is, is that if, if you're spending time on something, this is the whole play, whoever you you want type of mentality. If you're spending a time on something that's a 51, 49, maybe there's something that that's a 70 30 that you should be spending more time on. Exactly. And that where, where you get more edge trying to decide between, uh, you know, two players in a lineup that are projected exactly the nearly exactly the same. And then diving for an hour into PFF stats or something. There's probably a better, better use of your time. If it's, if it's that close, because you're going to get right as much as you're going to get it wrong. And then, not succumbing to the confirmation bias afterwards, not succumbing to, I should have seen that's coming either way and either victory lapping or kind of poo-pooing and saying it's bad luck or whatever. David Johnson getting injured is bad luck. Okay. You know, Justin Jackson getting injured on the first play <laughs> is bad luck. Like I, I can't, I, I can't fault my decisions there. I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, you, if you're going to go, if you're going to spend 10 hours watching tape, and it turns out that if you were to back test it, because that's what no one does. No one back tests mm-hmm. their takes. Who back tests their takes? Right? There's no test take back taste. There isn't. Yeah. So, but if you did, you'd probably see, you know, the fucking, it'll be not correlated that, that much because like, yeah, half the time you get it right and half the time you get it wrong. And then, and then it's, it's quite likely a hundred percent of the time, you don't make money off of it anyway. Exactly. And cause you're not building good lineups. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Eric, you agreed with me to some point, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across as like, well, well, football knowledge is bullshit, but mm. I'm, all I'm saying is that weigh the benefits versus the time and what you should be focused on. If you're, if you're already a great DFS player and you're like, I got my process down. I'm I, five years profitable, you know, all that type of shit. And you're like, well, I'm going to see if there's a, there's a little bit more, if I can, can I squeak out a half percent edge by something that no one's paying attention to that? And I, okay, then go do it. But there's so many people that, that, you know, watch the all 22 and still don't know how to put together a good GPP lineup. I, I think that's what the last part that you said was perfect because the problem is to me that people have, they have it backwards, right? They start with the, I can pick out the best plays based on whatever, right? It, it could be watching, you know, watching the all 22, or I just know more about football. I watch all the games on Sunday. 
So they start with thinking that they can just pick players better than other people. And at the end of the day, that's you know the, the greatest player picker of all time based on watching the, the tape or, or whatever. Just like you said, okay, maybe it's 52%. Maybe it's even 55 or 60%. But that's still hardly an edge. So people start there. I started there, what, five, six years ago or whatever. That's what I thought. I know football. I played football. Like I, I played football in college. I, I I coached. I know I know the X's and O's. I watch all these games. I know this shit better than everybody. And then you lose a lot. You consistently lose because you're not better at picking. You know, the, because the outcomes are so much more random than anyone will ever give them credit for. Uh, even more random. I think you said it recently uh, when we were talking. They're even more random than you and I will probably give them credit for. And we think that they're like infinitely more random than the average DFS player does. So. People start in the wrong place originally, I think. Like I said, I did too. I think it's a lesson like probably most people just have to – you just have to learn by going by going through it. So without – like once you figure out that though, once you figure out that, um, you know, what is, like you said, the 80-20 rule. It's probably a lot more than 80-20, but let's just use the 80-20 rule. That 80 – like if you spend 80% of your time focused on like the game theory of DFS, the fact that we're playing a game – and how do you beat your opponents? How do you, you know, exploit what your opponents are doing, which is what I basically then did for like, like multiple years. And I, I still haven't, you know, I'm still not an expert, um, but I, but I've got my head wrapped around, you know, this, the concept of that we're playing a game against other people and really, really focused the overwhelming majority of my time on that. I do then still think I use a little bit, like it's probably like 95 to five where it's more like this deciding factor. Like you were talk we were talking about in cash games, you should have based on the other decisions that you made, which were all, you know, it was in a cash team so it's a little different, but they were all like game theory type decisions. You should have then chose Keenan Allen because of the other decisions that you made. In my opinion, the only like advantage you can get and the, the, the where I use it, where I do like to like watch the games is that last little 5% like you said. I'm using like I'm building and some of my teams have zero to do with football takes. Some of them there's there's, you know, maybe a little bit more than that, whatever. But it's only when it, that la you're trying to squeak out, like you said, that last little bit of, of potential advantage. And it has to it has to align with the fact that you're playing a game. Like you said, the Tyler Lockett thing. If that's like there's no advantage in playing a game against other people when everybody thinks like that's the football take, right? Like, and I'm like you said, I, I don't know if it was right or wrong. I I played Tyler Lockett this week. I don't know if it, you know, it, it, that's not the point. But the point is that when ev all of your opponents have the exact same football take, there's no advantage in using your football take to it. There's more advantage in using your your you know I'm playing a DFS game, and I think people just. There's there is a, a certain balance, and that balance is way 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 more to the I'm playing a game side of things, and the, all this shit is random. Then people will give it credit for, and so I think, um, you know, I like I said, I do use, and, and we've talked about it. I use a little bit. I use like I care about football. Like I, I, I it's just like a hobby of mine. I enjoy watching the game, so I use a little bit of that. You know, that pulling levers, I use a tiny little bit of that of that football lever, but like 95 percent of of what I'm doing is based on game theory. And it took me a long time to, to reach this point because you're you're human. You make mistakes. You're stubborn. You think you know more than everybody else. 
but the overwhelming majority of people still think like, I don't know, it's 50, 50, or, you know, we're lucky, you know, probably even like better casual players think it's like 50, 50 picking players and, and, and game theory. When, like I said, it's probably like 95 plus percent is we're playing, we're playing this game. You have no real advantage. I'll use an example from, from this past week where I think, um, people can think about this kind of thing, but it's because it relates to like roster construction and, and leverage and game theory. So one example you did it, you didn't bring up was the dolphins situation. Um, so where I think so I used this and I used this because this was an example where I did think I had a, I had a take, uh, or like a real football take, if you will, on what the dolphins would do without all their running backs and having traded their slot receiver, Isaiah Ford. So everyone else was doing the, the Marcus Johnson thing, or that, you know, there was tons of different, these unknown, Christian Blake, whatever. So I was playing Chase Edmonds. I played Chase Edmonds. Um, and I had a relatively chalky lineup. So instead of doing something with like one of the popular punts, right, I wanted to then use a potential football take that I had, which was I thought Jakeem Grant would have a chance at an expanded role at 3K and no one was playing him. He's 1% owned. So that was my like, okay, it's my last little, right? I've built my entire lineup. It's my last little tiny little bit. It correlates with the, you know, it makes perfect sense from within the lineup that I'm playing. And it is kind of a, like a, a football take, but it's also just as much like a game theory. And uh, and I'm playing, you know, I'm playing this game against opponents take. So I think that's where people should, that kind of thing is where people should take these things into consideration. Like you can, you can use these, these kinds of takes. I do, but it has to make, it has to make sense and it has to fit into the fact that we are playing this game against other people. You're not, you're not a scout. You're not a, you know, you're not, you're not projecting the outcomes of games. Um, so once people can kind of wrap their heads around that, um, then I think you can you can you know start to understand how all this stuff plays together. Right, and I I tend to lean towards long term, large sample size types of strategies. So when people give me shit for well, I'm playing a lot of this guy, and they go, well, that guy sucks. It's like, like well, if you if you look at a correlation graph compared to the past 10, 20 years of data, like I should be I should be playing David Johnson. Right when it when a, a team right. is a touchdown favorite with a twenty nine implied total, uh, the the projections. I mean, it's it. He was the best projected running back play mm-hmm. based on that, and I'll let the uh, what whether it happens on that slate or future. Like it doesn't. That's that. It's hard for people. I know I put things sometimes in simpler terms because of Twitter and typing and whatever, but like I don't predict outcomes means that is that that if I'm going to call a bet with a flush to come and, you know, I'm getting a positive EV bet, if I'm getting eight to one odds, like as long as I'm continually able to get that those odds on that flush, it, it doesn't matter to me whether or not the flush comes out like right now. Are, am I mm-hmm. going to get in those situations again and again? Yes, I'm going to hundreds and thousands of times. So just instead of thinking in terms of, well, the deck, the de- it's a Tuesday and it's cloudy. And on, on, on three Tuesdays, it's been cloudy. The flush doesn't come in, right? So I should fold here. Like, the, But it sounds ridiculous, but that's what people sound like. I That's what I hear when people go, in the three games that so-and-so hasn't played, this, like... You're talking about three games. It's a sample size mm-hmm. of three games without context. Now, as the sample size increases, your confidence level could go up. Like, I get it. Yeah. Three games is still better than no games. You're right. 
and and eight games is better than three games. But even we in the NFL, sample sizes are small as it is. Where if you say in the 30 games, it's still kind of suspect to some extent. But I could take a yeah. look at the past 40 years of NFL. And obviously the game has changed over time. So you can't necessarily just go completely by this. But running backs, touches, and implied team total and spread is high correlation, right? I mean, it, 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 it makes sense for the game script, right? I mean, it just makes complete sense. And right. uh, quarterback fantasy scoring is tied more to efficiency than to volume, right? We, we've yeah. learned like that when people are like, oh, I'm going to take the garbage quarterback that's going to throw up 50 passes. Like a lot of times, yeah, he throws up 50 passes and still gets no touchdowns and three interceptions. So you're sitting there with eight fantasy points that you'd rather take the guy that's only thrown 32 times. I mean, Russell Wilson's a perfect example of that, that he puts up scores mm-hmm. even without passing 40 times. Running back. Jared Goff, Jared Goff threw 60 something times two weeks ago and scored like 70 or 17, you know, draft DraftKings points. It's, it, it's definitely a misnomer that I hear that all, I hear that all the time. And honestly, I used to kind of think the same thing too. You know what I mean? Like that, that's a, that's a, a point actually that I don't think people talk about. Enough. Oh, well, like it, it, cause it worked when it works. Right. It works so well, you get Drew Locke, right? Drew Locke has like three DraftKings points at, at halftime or whatever. And then he just goes absolutely nuclear in garbage time. And people are, oh my God, I got to get this garbage time guy. Look at all these points he accumulates. But it's... it's Survivorship it's bias. So like I mean, it's a... It, exactly. that, that is yep. that... We're ta- you're, you're, you're mentioning exactly what I'm talking about. You're, like, you're remembering mm-hmm. the time it works and you're discarding all the times that it didn't work. Especially when you have uh, chatter... You know, when you hear when you hear it over and over again, which is a bias right. also. So yeah. you hear it amongst like, well, I, I mean, I play I played Drew Locke because I thought the Broncos could win that game. So it's like it's a, <laughs> like I'm not playing Drew Locke for garbage time. I'm playing Drew Locke mm-hmm. because he projects well against the Falcons defense. And I'm expecting in a dome with a lot of plays in that game that he has a shot at a ceiling with cheaper receivers. But I'm not mm-hmm. I didn't say I'm going to play Jake Luton for that reason. No, I, I expected I expected the Jaguars to to lose. I'm not playing uh, Gilbert for that reason. No, just it it lock projected well in that spot mm-hmm. to do to be efficient, not to chuck yeah. up a ton. But uh, the whole point of cherry picking, like when when these things happen, I'm going for the long term. Like I I played David Montgomery in 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 cash games. I played the mm-hmm. cheap the cheap build. Of David Johnson, David Montgomery, and Justin Jackson, you could see why I had a really bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but people are pick, cherry picking uh, Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, who mm-hmm. only got seventy percent of snaps. So, like, we're yeah, he got ten targets. Yeah, I mean, he, he did Christian. He has a ceiling. I get it. But yeah. I mean, if you told me beforehand he was only going to see seventy percent, like he's priced for ninety percent. That's what mm-hmm. we're used to seeing him at. But. In general, these long sample size types of things, I think, especially at certain positions, I think a lot of people have not adjusted their expectation on lineup construction based based on new information, based on the fact that we're getting 11 game slates where half the games have a 50 plus total, right? Mm-hmm. Half these games, 50 plus total, Teams are passing more. Teams are 
using running multiple running backs, even in situations where they have a good running. I mean, like even Derrick Henry is getting spelled for Dante Freeman yeah. or something for four plays or something. But yep. these, that, those four plays affect the person's ceiling. I mean, we see Benny Snell coming in for James Conner. Some, in some games, they don't. Some games, they do, right? We see, you know, what, what tilt the, the, the work is going to be. But we also see at the goal line that sometimes it's a hot hand. Sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, uh, Zach Moss gets stuffed. Sometimes he, he gets two touchdowns, right? Sometimes <laughs> uh, they're going down the field and it's a two-minute drill and Devontae Booker gets the touchdown and not Josh Jacobs because mm. Booker just happened to be on the field for the next play. Yep. So the variance in running backs, we, we always we were more accustomed in fantasy football in general, not just DFS, and to think of wide receivers as the volatile players. But to me, the running backs are the volatile players because you can't guarantee that they're even going to... I mean, we we see these snap counts and it's very hard to pick out a guy that's going to see 70 plus percent of, of snaps even, and let alone the goal line work. I mean, we could say, Oh, obviously it's going to be, obviously it's going to be uh, uh Josh Jacobs on the goal line. Well, who says it is? I mean, you know, it, 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 who, who, and they get the other, we had Naheem Hines running the ball on the goal oh, line. God. Yeah. Right. And he's considered the pass catching back in right. games. So, I look at the running back position as, and this is the reason why David Montgomery, David Montgomery is like leads is sixth in rushing in Russia and in, in, in carries mm-hmm. and, and like seventh in targets of all run. Like, and without Cohen there, he's seeing like 85% of snaps. I know David Montgomery sucks, but <laughs> like as far as opportunity, if we take a look at just, I know now I'm cherry picking this last week. But I think that this last week shows the concept very well that I could go down. Like I'm in results DB and I'm going to go to the running back position. Okay. Let's take out the ceiling guys that hit their ceilings, which is basically two cook and McCaffrey. Both were over 8,000. So you, you paid for those ceilings Yeah. Uh, outside of those. I'm going to go to the running back position and sort by fantasy points. So looking at the running backs, other than them on this slate, that were at least like Owen to some extent. Obviously, J.D. McKissick had a 17-point game. Uh, Duke Johnson obviously coming in for David Johnson at a 16-point game. But then we had James Robinson, 15.9. Wayne Gallman, 14.7. Josh Jacobs, 13.8. Todd Gurley, 13.5. Antonio Gibson, 13.5. Zach Moss, 12.8. Uh, DeAndre Swift, 12.7. CEH, 12.4. DJ Dallas, 11.9. Chase Edmonds, 11.8. Travis Homer, 11. Joshua Kelly, 10.9. Jonathan Taylor, 10.4. Gus Edwards, 10.4. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, 8.9. Uh, Jordan Howard, 7.9. Adrian Peterson, 7.3. Derrick Henry, 6.8. Devin Singletary, 6.4. David Montgomery, 6.2. J.K. Dobbins, 5.5. James Conner, 4. Melvin Gordon, 3.7. What's the difference between the guys that had like double digits, like 12, and the guys that had five? A touchdown. That's that's that that's the only difference between those players. 
And then what's the difference between the ceiling players and everything else? Just humongous games. Just, you know, the multiple touchdown, big play breaking games. Uh, if Cook and McCaffrey didn't have those, they wouldn't put up those scores. But those are ceilings. So I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing about ceilings. But from a median perspective, what the fuck is the difference between any of these running backs? That if you need to rely on a touchdown in order to make value, obviously you probably want to side with the, the teams that are favored, that the guy gets more more likely to get more goal line work. But still for the price, I mean, what does does DeAndre Swift, he gets less of the work, but he gets more of the, the quality work. Valuable. Right, more valuable touches. Uh, David Montgomery gets a lot of the touches, but doesn't do much with them. So, like, uh, you get uh, uh, Chase Edmonds got a ton of the touches and did not and did nothing with them. Uh, Zach Moss gets quality touches, but gets very few of them. But once you look at like the the pros and cons of each, like, oh, Josh Jacobs gets the gets the goal line carries and most of the work, but he could get vultured. So he got vultured. Wayne Gallman, what was wrong with Wayne Gallman on the Giants? Nothing. What made him any different from Justin Jackson? Nothing. I mean, like right. what? I mean, I just take a look at all of these and go, like, I, not that running backs don't matter, but, like, I think past 6000 in salary, like, what, other than ceiling, what do, what, do, what do any of these matter other than probably you should side with the running backs that are on favored teams? I mean, like, that's... Long sample, big sample size type of stuff. So, like, playing David Johnson, playing, uh, I mean, David Montgomery for the, David Montgomery, even without a touchdown, could have, you know, 24 touches and give me 12 points. Like, well, oh, he's only getting 12 points. It's like, well, fucking, what are, what are all the other running backs doing? I mean, like, like it's so great. You you played you played James Robinson and got 15 for 7,000. And I got, I got 12 for... For for fifty seven hundred, I mean, but when you take a look at wide receiver, we take a look at wide receiver. Okay, I'm gonna list down the top scoring uh, wide receivers that got at least like three percent ownership. So not like uh, I'm not Curtis Samuel's ceiling game. I'm not I'm not including uh, Tyreek Hill, DJ Chark, Jerry Judy, Keenan Allen, Terry McLaurin, D- DK Metcalf. Christian Kirk, Will Fuller, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. Then we have Brown, John Brown, Brandon Cooks, like Julio Jones. Am I naming people that like, oh, I couldn't believe, like we have a couple. Yeah, Zacchaeus is in there and 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 uh, David Moore with 17 points, uh, you know, like stuff like that. But uh, am I listing receivers that weren't like, aren't like wide receiver ones on their teams and they no, were, it's a bunch of al- yeah, it's a bunch of alphas that you expect to be able to put up put up points because they're leading their offenses. Yeah, right, and they're getting PPR points on a site like DraftKings. Like I like I'm not I'm not looking I'm not looking at uh, at at lower guy. I mean, like Michael Pittman put up nine point six points. I mean, but who's rostering Michael Pittman? Isaiah <laughs> McKenzie got a touchdown. So what does that matter? But like, do I do I play iffy wide receivers? Like, I'm looking at it like, why aren't I, in cash games, why aren't I not just playing a wide receiver in the flex spot? Like, if like we're, we're, we're not living in the time of Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey and stuff. Even Dalvin Cook, sometimes Madison comes in and plays 40% of the snaps. So we can't even look, say, 
Dalvin right? played 66% of the snaps this week. I know there was a few snaps at the end, you know, that, that Madison got. But even this week, right, he scored, what, 40, 50-something DraftKings points. He still didn't even play 70% of the snaps. So, like, yes, he broke the long runs or whatever. But it's just a perfect example of, like, there's so much more volatility to all these guys. Like, like uh, Terry McLaurin, he does not leave the field. He's right. The most of the guys, most, not- most of the wide receivers that I listed are guys that are playing 95% of the snaps. Like if you, if you gave me a choice this coming week uh, of playing uh, a guy in the flex versus like, if, should I, should I play an, uh, an $8,500 running back or Devonte Adams? Like give me Devonte Adams. Yeah. Like just give me, give me Michael Thomas. Give me, give me Keenan Allen. Give me like, but most of these guys are priced in the seven K in the Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, you know, the high end James Conner, James Robinson, like, like, dude, I'll, I'll play these wide receivers. I'll play Keenan Allen over any seven K running back because Keenan Allen doesn't even need a touchdown to get the 15 points. Most of these running backs, they need a touchdown to get the 15 points or a, a, a huge PPR day. Like guys like Alvin Kamara, like, but they're priced that way. Like Alvin Kamara yeah. is priced at eight plus K. Like there are more paths to me that Keenan Allen and Julio Jones, obviously without Ridley or, or one of the Seattle wide receivers or one of like any of those guys, or even going into the mid range. I mean, Brandon mm-hmm. Cooks is sitting there at under six K getting, getting an average of 10 targets a game. Like you give me 10 targets, seven catches and 60 yards without a touchdown. I feel more like I feel like that result seven for sixty for Brandon Cooks. I feel much more confident than rostering a six K running back. Like I just I, I totally just feel agree. like like thirteen points Cooks easily gets thirteen. Sterling Shepard for five thousand or something like like give me give me give me double digit. Can I get double digits? And I feel like a lot of these running backs. Obviously, the floors of like when you play a McCaffrey or a Cook or a a Kamara, they're going to be, I mean, their floors are hot, but their floors are like 20 and you're paying for it. And the ceiling is comes with the touchdowns. I'm nothing against those guys. It's more of the, the middle range type of stuff where, well, I, my flex has to be a third running back and I'm, or I could punt at a, a play a $3,200 wide receiver that has a good chance at a zero rather than fill my wide receiver slots with 15 plus points. Like, 75 plus percent outcomes and they all have ceilings. Like people look mm-hmm. at Tyreek Hill and go, well, how do you play him in cash games? Well, I feel more confident that Tyreek Hill is going to do well on the chiefs than, than, than Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Right. If they're yeah. both oh, the yeah. same price, like Eric, if they were both the same price, CEH. And I told you that CEH was going to get 70% of the snaps and he, and they're both 6,500. I still, I still think I take Tyreek Hill over him. I mean, like, I, I also would, yeah, right. And, but, and, um, but I'm not even talking about from a ceiling. Like, if you're playing GPPs, I'm talking about just from a, just from a median perspective of like, I, I think Tyreek Hill has the narrower range of outcomes in today's football. I, I think like if, if you're gonna take a shot on someone, uh, in similar to a running back, like I take a look at David Montgomery. And I'm like, okay, he gets the volume or whatever like that. But could I, couldn't I just play DJ Chark? Like, I mean, like I'm saying like DJ Chark, like what's his floor? Maybe it's six, but I mean, his ceiling is 40. Mm -hmm. David Montgomery's ceiling may be 20. (laughs) 
I mean, <laughs> like, I think he gets to 10 or 12 more often than other people in that range, but he doesn't hit 20 plus often enough. I could get, I could get bailed out by Chark. I could get bailed out playing Judy in the flat. I'm taught. See, this is, the, I'm not even talking about the wide receiver, right? You get that, Eric. I'm talking about, this is in my flex spot in a cash game where I'm looking going, why aren't I playing? Why aren't, why aren't I playing uh, John Brown? Why aren't I playing Brandon Cooks? Why aren't I playing, uh, 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 why aren't I, instead of a 7K running back, why aren't I playing Allen Robinson? Like, why, why, why? <laughs> I'm looking at these scores and going, like Marvin Jones, who I think only had four catches, <laughs> outscored like 90% of the running backs this past slate on like limited targets. Danny Amendola outscored most of the running mm-hmm. backs. I mean, uh, Devontae Parker at 5,200 outscored most of the running backs. Sterling Shepard outscored most. Zach Pascal had 10.5 <laughs> points. Okay. So I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of ch- cherry picking this past slate because obviously mm-hmm. they, on other slates, there would be more, but it's week 10 coming up. Uh, since week one, I know we, we forget about week one. We forget about week two. We forget about, it seemed like it was ages ago. Well, remember the slate where Miles Sanders busted and like we, we've seen so many Kareem Hunt, 9.8 points. We've seen this past, we've seen last year also. I mean, this extends to last year as well, that chalk running backs. And when I mean chalk, it just means that, you know, they project slightly higher than other running backs. And then everyone kind of jumps on board because they are the best projected play that, because of confirmation bias, we we look at the times where the ones that that succeeded, but don't remember that I think they've busted. I think compared to the chalk wide receivers, the chalk running backs over the past two years have busted more than the wide receivers. Yet, I yet you go into cash games and you see running back flex, running back flex. You go into GPPs and you see 70 percent running back flex. Like, 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 yeah, that, that's correct. When we have Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson from 2016. Yeah. Okay. I get that. When you have, you have running backs that you're like, okay, all I have to do is jam in Zeke and, and David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, and then find three, four K wide receivers that get a shot. And you know, my, my 30 plus points from each of my running back spots, I can win a GPP. Now I view it the complete opposite. I view it that. Can I get Keenan Allen, Julio Jones, and Devontae Adams into my lineup? And then hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, someone's going to fall in the end zone, right? It's like, so it's hopefully yep. uh, Zach Moss at 4,200 falls in the end zone or, you know, like stuff like that. And I think, I think a lot of sharper players, at least in GPP, have realized that. Like I've, I look at, at sharper players uh, lineups and they have a lot more wide receiver flex. It's also a dynamic of stacking. I get it because yeah. if you're stacking, you're filling up wide receiver slots more often than the running back slots. So you need a flex spot. But like, I think that the, the days of like automatically assuming that in as a median cash build, small field, single entry build that jamming in three running backs. Cause I hear that running back at high opportunity cost. Like, no, actually I think wide receiver is the high opportunity cost. And to me, the lo- the lowest opportunity cost is defense, right? Because that's so varied. Then it's tight end because there's just so many bad tight, like 
You could survive eight points at tight end and win. Uh, then quarterback, although that's come up this year, this past mm-hmm. two years. Quarterback used to be you pay down because the range of outcomes is kind of narrow at quarterback. Now we're seeing much passier, passing heavy games, rushing quarterbacks, that that's kind of moving away. And then we see running backs where hot hands and touchdown variants. To me, the, the, the safest position is wide receiver now. Which it it may compared to the 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 common uh, assumption over the past ten years of fantasy football, like that makes it to me like it, to me it makes logical sense the way the games are now. But I I don't think I don't think I think many people haven't have not adjusted or just refuse to to believe it. One hundred percent. I think. Well, there's a lot, a lot to unpack of this subject, but I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up because it was something I, I mean, even like to start the year, it wasn't something I was really considering. I've always played, you know, basically, you know, stack up a game and play, play my three high floor running backs, right? Like just like everybody did. But then, like as this year started going, everything that you just illustrated was something I started to kind of pick up on. Like especially once, like you know, we lost CMC and Saquon and stuff. Um, it really started to ring true, but that's, we have to adapt to the situation that, that we're given now. And I think, um, it just kind of started to see this, this, this same trend that you just outlined in, in running backs that I don't think the field is, is at all thinking about. So I, I, I wrote about it, I don't know, maybe week four or something like that, where once we got all these injuries, I'm like, Everybody is going to keep spending at running back. And we have these just absolute alpha, like basically lock wide, you know, like so Julio wasn't even good this week. He scored 16 points. Stefan Diggs didn't score a touchdown. He scored like 25 points. You know, Tyler Lockett sucked, right? It was horrible. He scored, but he still scored like eight points. Like that's not good, but it's like if, if, you know, uh, you said Kareem Hunt was busting and scoring and scoring nine points. Like, so anyway, I believe everything that you just said with the run, the state of the NFL and the, the ecosystem that we are playing within now, people are not adjusting because we're seeing every week there's some abnormality, some some crazy ceiling game from somebody that people can't get out of. The, Dalvin Cook scores fifty every week, right? Or Derrick Henry breaks the you know breaks the slate and scores scores fifty or whatever. There's always someone. Aaron Jones does it. Someone on the higher end has had a game through the through basically every week so far this year that I just don't think is is reality when the rest of the slate right when you get like that one slate breaker and then you get all these guys under 20 points you know we had the one week a few weeks ago where fucking everybody scored 20, 20 points but that also makes the exact point that you could just get 20 points you could get the same points from everybody so it's been clouded by this one you know guy just have hitting a ceiling in that week and so some some people have made the argument to me that like okay well that's why I need to play I need to play Dalvin yeah, and but, C but, and but, C I, because they, I'm going to interrupt it's like I, mm-hmm. I maybe I know what you're going to say is that well th- you need it but th- th- it's the same concept that I said before about like I listed off all the takes like are you do you know do you know which one it's going to be like you like it could <laughs> right. be the tr- like it. It didn't end up being Kareem Hunt. It ended up being Dalvin Cook. On the Dalvin Cook was the chalk. 
and he hit a ceiling. And then the week the yeah. week before, Kareem Hunt was the chalk and died. Like yes. people people have this confirmation bias of well, well that means I need to. Well, like who says it wasn't going to be Derrick Henry this week and Dalvin Cook ends up with fourteen points? I, you 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 you're going to cherry pick based on like one of these. It it I, I mean I I'm going to highlight what I said earlier is if your track record is 50% and you don't know which one, yes, you're right. Most likely on an 11 game slate, there's going to be one running back. Most likely that's going to put up a score that you need that you're that the GPP winning lineup will likely have this running back in it. As long as they're owned enough. If it's a point, you know, it's, it's a Duke Johnson. If he put up a ton when David Johnson got injured, probably may not matter because he's barely owned. But you know anything that two percent or higher or something. If Wayne Gallman at at zero point nine seven percent put up a thirty point game and he was the highest scoring running back on the slate, he's probably going to show up in the in a large field GPP winning lineup. It just which one is it going to be? You you could you could say well look at this week and look at that week and look at this. Well, you tell me which one. You, you can't. You can't tell me it, it was going to be Cook this week or Henry. You couldn't. Well, against the Detroit run defense. Well, how about Kareem Hunt against the, that bad defense? How about yeah. we, all the other times that you say the bad defense in five-game sample sizes? Like, you're, it's a confirmation bias of seeing it after it happens. And then we, we see it in baseball, right, in, in MLB, that the larger the slate— and this is the concept of stacking in MLB. Like, if, if you have a 14-game slate in MLB, the likelihood of one team putting up, 20, uh, out of 28, putting up 10-plus runs is quite high because there's just there's 28 yeah. teams to do it. On, an, on a, a, a four-game slate where there's only eight teams, there's less likelihood of that happening only because of there there's being less teams. So uh, in, on a large slate, you always stack five guys because, like, every team— no matter how crappy, is going to be owned to some extent in a five-man stack. Even the Marlins, even the the crappy Orioles or something. So if whatever team scores 10-plus, 12-plus usually, that's the winning five-game stack in a large field GPP. It's going... The thing is, is that which... which what's going to happen today? Like, I, I don't know. Yes, it's more likely that the Dodgers do it, but they're also twice as expensive, right? It's always factored into their price. But the thing is, on a one single day of MLB baseball, who the fuck knows? But in ML, in MLB, we never have these conversations, right, Eric? We never have right. the. We should have seen that coming because we we've seen ace pitchers get blown up. Mm-hmm. You that you wouldn't stack against them, but you know they they, they when they have a bad game. Garrett Garrett Cole had three home runs gets hit off of him, and he and he he still puts up eighteen points, but it's not good for his salary. Uh, or mm-hmm. we see teams like. Out of the blue, the Pirates, you know, beat up on Brandon Woodruff and in Britain, the Brewers, and, and they have 12 runs. Like, we just accept that variance in MLB DFS, right? We're just like, who could have saw that coming? And like, but like, but not to the extent in which, like, the, how many times are the Red Sox chalk and bust? Like, no one, no one, no one, like, like, it's just like, okay, here we go again. J.D. Martinez, 0 for 4, and as 28% owned, and... Like we realize this, like we realize what we're doing is uh, like over a long term thing of like, yeah, I'm going to play J.D. Martinez at 4,200 against the lefty at Fenway Park that's throwing garbage and he can go over four and okay, I get it. But 
tell me they, they're going to be 50 times in the season that we're going to get someone like that. And most of the time, it, most of the time it doesn't work. But in, in football, it seems because of the really small sample sizes, we get the cherry picking of, of, well, I could, I no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jordan. I could predict this. And I'm like, then how come you haven't made a million dollars in DFS? Like, like if you could, why aren't you just betting on the fucking props in the games? Like, if you could, yeah. like, it's so much easier than building a lineup to beat other people. So, so that's why I, I look at all of this going, I don't care what my preconcept, what, what the preconceived notion is. I don't care what happened in 2016 on how we play DFS or how we build fantasy football lineups. I don't care that, uh, in the in the past three games, this uh, this guy was out. This guy went nuts. It's still th- it's still three games. I still need to compare that to the ownership because if it it it, it mm-hmm. as, if the ownership comes with it, like it's 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 the numerical way of what you said earlier. Like what I'm doing is comparing ceiling probability to ownership, right? Looking at a projection model, I'm not watching the all twenty two. I barely know mm-hmm. what most of these guys look like. Okay, so but you said before about uh. If you have a take that everyone else has, like what advantage do you have? Oh, yeah. you correctly identified that uh, it's more likely that Tyler Lockett's going to see more targets because Tre'Davious White and you and you going through all the all the, the the charts and everything. It's like, yeah, well, he's going to be fucking twenty eight percent. Like, Ed, like <laughs> other people have identified that also. You're not gaining anything by it. You you'd be more likely to say, well, the probability that I'm wrong, right? It's it's almost like make the correct take. That probably is more likely to be right, but is it more likely compared to the ownership? And then you look and you go, well, I believe Tyler Lockett will get more targets and better results this game 70% of the time. And then 30% of the time I'm wrong. And if you're 70-30 on these types of takes, you're a fucking genius, okay? Because <laughs> right, seventy to be 70% of the time on who exactly is going to see Calvin Ridley's targets, like you'd be printing. Okay, at at that rate. So if you happen to be at that rate, thirty percent of the time you're going to be wrong. So I take a look at DK Metcalf at five percent owned or whatever the fuck he was. Right, he was low. He was he was fucking four percent owned across the single entry stuff. And Lockett, like I'm going to look the difference between Lockett in the in the spy, the hundred K to first single entry. Lockett was thirty three point nine percent owned. And Metcalf, I have to start scrolling, was 4.97% owned. So even if you say to yourself, I'm going to be right 70% of the time, your answer should be to roster DK Metcalf. Right. Which makes no, which to, you have to have this cognitive dissonance of, you could be right more often, yet still take the other player because you're still not right often enough that it that it's actually plus EV to take the shot at, Maybe I'm like to think in terms, you know how crazy this sounds, Eric, to most people of going, I'm going to predict what happens in an NFL game and then go, well, I'm going to play, take the player just in case I'm wrong, because just in case I'm wrong actually stands to profit more than me being right. Because so many others are also, it's that they're having their own, they're, 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 they're doing the same take as everyone. And like who back tests the take, no one back tests their takes. So they it's just favorite, like it's my favorite, it's my favorite uh like saying or whatever you know it's not about and and it like it's so simple I think it was I can't remember who said it anyway one of the one of the you know awesome DFS uh, guys out there OGs but uh, 
it's not about, you know, being right the most. It's about profiting the most when you're right. 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 And that's, that's, the, that's, that's the perfect. It's not it's, about being right. It's about it's yeah. about how much money do I make when I am right? And to explain to people, like, because I'll because I'll get trolled now. Now that I, obviously I'm getting more Twitter followers now, so I, I did. And then obviously on my YouTube streams, you get the new people. They're like, should I play this guy or that guy? And then I say, well, I'm playing. I'm playing this guy. So I, I you could do whatever you want. I don't know what lineups you're building. And then they'll come after me and and say, oh, great. I, I, sometimes I get tilted when it's a good when it's a good call. When they say, well, a good call on that guy. It's like, I didn't call. And I literally don't call anything. So there's nothing <laughs> for me to call. So whether or not it works out is not, it's not, it's like good call on whether or not the flush is going to come out. A good call on heads on a coin flip. Like what the fuck? I, there's no call involved. But just the fact of like, I'm pl- in GPPs, you don't, you, you, you are going to be wrong 90% of the time. Like that's built in. If you're not mm-hmm. wrong 90% of the time, then you're not playing GPPs well. That's why you haven't won one because you've been, because you've been right too much, right? It's kind of weird to say you're, you haven't won, especially a large field GPP because you've been right too much because you've, you've been right. And you're doing the very similar that other people, you're not the only one looking mm-hmm. at this, right? So you're doing yep. the same shit. I'm playing stuff for, I'm going to play 17 weeks out of the season. I don't view week 10 slate as week 10 slate. I view the season. I view, uh, I'm going to play at NFL DFS for five years. I'm going to play mm-hmm. 85 classic slates. And I, w- I would like to get a 10 to 30% ROI over five years. Like, can I, can I do that? Right. Can I do 10 to 30% ROI over five? If I could get a 30% ROI over five years, like there's no investment in the world that could fucking give me that. Right. Over that, that course of time, unless it's extremely risky type of shit. So like, that's how I look at things. So like the slate coming up, I'm looking, if I played this out a million times, what shows me the most money and can I do that on week 11? And can I do that on week 12? And can I do that on, and just keep on doing that. Um, David Montgomery's now down to 5,000. I'm jamming him into 40% of my lineups. And it's going to be one of these weeks where he it's a bad matchup and he breaks off his one run of the entire fucking year and he's 4% <laughs> owned because people are like, the guy sucks. And for a 5K running back, he's in the winning GPP. Like, But I'm basing it on the fact that he gets 85% of the snaps and like I'm basing it on until Tariq Cohen comes back, until you show me that he's not going to be on the field like every play. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to keep on playing him as the price drops. Lamar Jackson this past week, I played a ton of them. He's going to be under 7,000 and we, we know he has a ceiling. Like, yes, he has not been, he's not played well this season, right? His prior is starting to dip down. Right. But if, if I'm, if I see he's going to be 4% owned, like in a dome against, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take the shot. Kyler Murray. I did that also 41 points. But I'm not cherry pick. See, if I I say that's what I look. I took Kyler Murray, 41 points. Hey, yeah, but I also took Lamar Jackson, and he sucks. So like, I was ha- I was right on one, and I was wrong on the other. But if I continue to do this, even though I'll be wrong 90 percent of the time, I'll make more money than you. So like, my mm-hmm. response to to a lot of people that that uh, football take people are like, like let's look at the scoreboard at the end of the season. Like like my my goal is not to be right. My goal is to make money. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 it sounds like you're doing the same thing, but you're not 
Like you're you're like Eric, when you play GPPs in single entry, like you're not trying to be right. Jakeem Grant, I played Jakeem Grant, right? I played him in, in, in Cardinals stacks. Murray, Hopkins, Kirk, Grant, you know, those types of shits, right? As well mm-hmm. as uh, uh Edmonds, you know, Edmonds Parker, Edmonds Grant, you know, that yep. the secondary correlations. I did that also because What's the difference between Jakeem Grant and Marcus Johnson? Like, I, who knows? And with Isaiah Ford guard, like you said, it's possible. That's all I. That's all I had to say in my mind. How confident is the field in Marcus Johnson? How is how confident is the field in Christian Blake? Is that the that should be the same confidence as people should have a Jakeem Grant playing the slot for the Dolphins? Yet, right. Yet Marcus Johnson is going to be ten percent owned. And Christian Blake's going to be 3% owned. And Jakeem Grant's going to be 1% owned. So it's like, most likely we're all wrong. Most likely all of these are wrong. But yeah. I'll play, if I, if they have an equal likelihood of being wrong, I'll play the, I'll play the lower owned one. Like, it, right. And that correlates, and that correlates with my team. It was a, it, it was a, it's a perfect example of all this. And then I just think go, spinning it back real quick to the, to like the running back, the, the running back thing. I think this mindset is something that people used to it, it is flipped i think it is totally flipped on its head people used to somewhat understand this right that the what people will still tell you what you know touts will still tell you is wide receiver is super volatile running back is you know steady so you know play the chalky running backs and spend your money at running back because you're getting what you know you know this this floor from those guys and wide receiver, it's like, oh, there's some cheap guy that's going to get six targets at wide receiver, right? Marcus Johnson, whatever. When in reality, what I think smart people started to see earlier in the year and what you described and what I believe like passionately agree is, is the case now is that has completely flipped on its head for everything that you outlined. The way teams are utilizing running backs, some of the injuries that we've had, the way passing is happening now now in the NFL, you know, a bunch of different factors have kind of flipped this game on its head. And if you're if you're going to fall behind and and you know continue to uh you know strap yourself to like the uh confirmation bias or survivorship bias that like we've seen oh, Dal- oh boy, yeah, but look, Dalvin dropped a 50 spot, you know. Derrick Henry had that had that big game whatever. That is like it's so far from the point when I think if we continue to play this this season out you're going to see, like you said, who, you know, Julio without Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. The list goes on and on and on of all these wide receivers. And we have also seen that people forget when Tyler Lockett drops 50, when DK, Mac- DK Metcalf drops 50, when Devontae Adams drops 50, whatever. When all these guys have their big games, people like write that off and they're just like, oh, yeah, but I still have to play Derrick Henry next week. You know, because he's in a great matchup and he's going to get 25 carries or whatever. People just are still so stuck in this mindset of running backs, A, that they have to play or, you know, or that it's, uh, you know, it's better to play the chalk running backs because that's how it always used to be when that data is completely irrelevant to the game that we are playing right now. You know, it's it's like we were playing Monopoly then and we're playing shoots and ladders now like that shit. It doesn't matter. Le'Veon Bell doesn't exist. Well, he, he exists, but in a very different form than he used to exist. Those those types of plays and the ways the salary is put together. We, 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 you know, we're going to have it this week and we had it like with Jamal Williams a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, the min price running back stepping into like a workhorse role, but in general that also does not exist anymore. And it used to be three K right. We used to get 
uh, Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, Mike Davis is 3,000. It's like there's no fucking way Mike Davis fails at, at 3,000, right? Like that's absurd. Or Jamal Williams is 3,000. But now they, they've also elevated the running back floor, and they're typically pricing up these backups, right? So J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram gets hurt. Gets hurt. J.K. Dobbins is 4,900, 5K. It's a very different situation than if he's 3K. That's a big difference. So like all this is to say this game has been flipped on its head and it's being and people are not adjusting to to the new game that we are playing now. And they're also like tying themselves to these these random like cherry like you said, cherry picking certain events. And it's typically with these workhorse backs. We've always gotten the Dalvin or Henry or whatever, like ceiling game pretty much every week this year. Kamara. We've gotten those guys to hit that ceiling. But the it's going to happen probably several times. The probability hasn't played out yet where oh, fuck, it could have been David Johnson had his ceiling. What if David Johnson scores 35? You know, what if, what if David Johnson has 100 rushing yards and and two and two touchdowns? Well, you you need you need him. You don't need, you know, Christian McCaffrey. You don't need to pay 9k for 35 when you get the the ceiling game. We just haven't had it yet. It hasn't happened. And it also hasn't happened where like no, the 5K guys kind of hit, you know, their 75th percentile, and the ceiling guys just have a, you know, the, the Dalvin Cooks just have a median, right? Dalvin yeah, well, Cooks we had 18. that. Didn't we have that? that We had that week where everyone scored, t- as long as you got 20 yeah. points out of your running backs, like, right. it didn't matter who, what you, you could have paid 7,000, 5,000. There were just, there was like, there was like eight running backs that all had 20, around 20 points. Mm-hmm. And as long as you had Bernard, or like, that was the Bernard Williams week yep. and with, with the minimum price, that type of stuff. But we've seen that in the past. I mean, we've seen it. We've literally seen it this year that that we've had weeks where there was literal, there was no running back. We had a Derrick Henry big week. Uh, we had, because uh, obviously I, I won 50,000, so I know that. Uh, we had a Mixon. <laughs> when I came close, yeah, I came yeah. close on that Mixon week because I had a mm-hmm. ton of him. But on all, the, on all the other weeks, there was no, like, if there was an outlier running back, it was like, you know, a 1% owned guy that just mm-hmm. like, I remember like James Rob didn't James Robinson put up like a 35 point game yeah. like no ownership yeah right right Compl- at, at all like 2% 1% or something like that but most of the time even this year but you, you could go back to last year I'm not just talking about mm. this year I'm talking about 2019 as well go back to 2019 and go back to some of 2018 and you'll find that the the running back uh the running back median compared to wide receiver median is higher, is, is more volatile you know, uh, as a position. It isn't see that. I think that the difference that we're trying to say here is that yep. uh, at wide receiver in general. So if we take the entire wide receiver pool, which includes the third wide receivers includes, includes everyone uh, that the position is more volatile, meaning that like, Points, guys' points could score six, could score twenties, whatever. But if you look at the high end, if you had to choose uh, ten wide receivers to put up over their median, so that whatever their median is based on projections, who would hit their median? You'd be able to identify those ten people. Like you could essentially, like yeah. I'm going to pick ten people, and I'm going to be right at like seven out of ten of them. I'm going to be right on eight out of ten. I'm going to be right on, and then running back. If you extrapolate over the past two and a half years, you see that it's closer. That actually the meat that it's it comes it's you know higher R squared. You know it's coming mm-hmm. closer to the line. Yeah. But the pick out the ceiling 
guys, Jesus Christ, is it tough? <laughs> like you go from yeah. week to week, and and it's like, yes, the overall running back uh, outcomes were narrower, but the outlier that that whoever was passed there could have been fucking. And I mean, you just go back, go back two and a half years, you'll see. You'll see random games from random people as well as random bad games from good people that mm-hmm. on a week-to-week basis, are you, are you going to be able to pick that out? On a, on a wide receiver, I am. Like wide receiver, I could just look and go, can I play, uh, can I play Allen? Can I play, can I play, uh, maybe not Thielen anymore, but I mean, you could. Uh, you know, Brandon Cooks and Stefan Diggs and, Kenny Galladay, I guess, to, to some extent, like like any of the guys in those ranges, the wide receiver ones, the alphas, I guess you want to call it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to get double digits. I'm more likely than not going to get double digits from them. And the running back position, I know I'm going to be able to get 20 points from a running back. Now, what the fuck running? Uh, at a, tell me to pick the 10 running backs that are going <laughs> to score the most points. In Like, tell me. Like, you who, I mean, yeah, I could pick. I, sometimes I'll be right, and a lot of times I'll be wrong. Like Connor said, four points, and in a they were the biggest favorite on the slate, and that that type of stuff happens. You'll hear on review shows people talk about it, Dalvin Cook was such a lock, and but if you listen to last week, you heard James Connor being doubted. You you hear other people, and no one will ever mention that. No one will just like James Connor. Uh, it, it it very similar to to Jonathan Bales. He tweeted out about. Uh, you know, good ideas stand the test of time and bad ideas get weeded out more in the DFS and gambling space is, and the reason we, we can make money in DFS is because bad ideas win just enough of the time that people think they're good ideas Yep. longer. So uh, if people are going to point out Dalvin Cook and not point out James Conner, like that is, that is quintessential confirmation bias so if you had a take if you had takes last week like go back test your takes no one does that no one back tests their takes and if you find that you're as right as often as you are wrong then like then what's the what's the fucking point if you're not gonna be able to know it's it's bvp is real like even cardi will say like batter versus pitcher probably is real the problem is in small sample sizes you can't tell which batter it's real for and which pitcher it's real. You can't. You can't tell. I. That's the concept. It's not. I'm not saying that studying defensive coverages isn't real, right? Studying who's going to sh- wide receiver cornerback matchups, they're probably real. Those types of things are probably real, mm-hmm. but you're just not going to know who's it real for in one game. You're not. You're never going to be able to predict it well enough that you're not just basically flipping a coin. Yep. So that that's the if we had if 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 we had uh, Seahawks Bills games if we had and the, the same cornerback the same secondaries and the same receivers and they played fifty games like the if the Bills and Seahawks played fifty games against each other and then you saw then you could say okay I should play Lockett because in these fifty games like that's a big enough sample size but you don't get that in NFL you get that you get that in NBA. To some extent, you get that in MLB to some extent, but not just for batter versus pitcher. Like we could, we 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 know that Mike Trout is a better player than uh, than 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 uh, whoever. I'm, I'm just a uh, you know Jason Kipnis or something. Like we 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 know that we have we have thousands of at bats to know that pitchers, right? 
the pitchers get 100 pitches in a game, right? And right. then they'll get 30 starts a year, and they'll play for multiple years. So we, we get those stats that we could say, but in NFL, we don't. So, like, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get pushed back on this or not, but it, it to me, this is the biggest struggle when I try to help uh, DFS players, like, try to break out of their mindset that it's not about football. Because sometimes you have to go to an extreme just to make your the point across. That I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying these things aren't valuable. I'm just saying that, one, they're not as valuable as the strategy. And two, they are valuable and you're not going to be... You're, the more important point is that you're not going to be able to know when they are and when they're not for specific instances because... Saying in like saying in the past three games they've done this. Well, who, Cam Newton barely rushed the ball, right? The Patriots in the last like, like yeah. they they usually run a, a Patriots run like RPO and Newton's you know what, the, nope, Newton was basically a pocket passer. Other yep. than obviously he scored you know, the, the goal, goal line, line yeah. carries, but if you would have told me in the past game that like oh against the Jets a ten point favorite Newton's gonna have fifty rushing yards easy. Because they're going to rush or whatever like that, and and uh, James White out of the backfield. Nope, you were wrong. Like you could have still gotten there regardless. I mean, whatever. But Jacoby Myers has a huge game catching 160 yards passing. But like, like just back text your takes. If you happen to be someone that it could go 70 percent on your takes over the course of multiple seasons, then fucking you should be betting on foot. You shouldn't. You shouldn't even be telling me, right? You should be. You should be. <laughs> Silently withdrawing money from from your DraftKings account, uh, sportsbook account, as well as your DFS account. Uh, uh, that's all I'm saying. Like that. So, yes, Eric, you know more about football than I do. But do you think that it, that gives you any mar- any really advantage no. over 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 Awesomeo? Over over God over, no. Well, maybe also maybe in the Thunderdome. I I think Awesomeo's. I looked at some. I feel confident games. I could take him in the Thunderdome now. After we we've we have we have a ten we have what a ten game sample now that he sucks in the Thunderdome. So uh, now now I'm. It's uh, not I'm it's confident. not the results. It's the lineups. I I I can't. I I, I paid Empire Maker. I said okay. A thirty person. He's he's playing twenty and th- like he's playing twenty to thirty man contest and he's running out lineups that like are like you you would barely run in the spy. <laughs> like I mean, I'm just saying. Like you would, you would in a five thousand person contest. It's like I understand that lineup, but in a thirty person contest, I'm like, like what, like why are you, why are you playing a Bridgewater stack? Why, why are you, why, why, why are you, why are you trying to play a three plus one in a thirty, thirty man? I could understand stacking a game. You want to play a three plus three? You want to just say fuck it? I'm just going to take a game. Yeah. Okay, I can yeah. understand that, but you know, Edelman one offs. I mean, like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> right, I'm just I'm looking at this going like he doesn't even project well. Like I don't even I don't even know what the fuck's going on. So no, that was bad. But that but that's but that's related to what what we talk about all the time about that the lineup fitting the contest and yeah. Osimo probably w- one of the best ever large field GPP players. But uh, and Empire Maker is you know top cash game player. He just plays the the narrow shit. I'm going to play the optimal lineup that I think, and mm-hmm. you run me down. And I think maybe over a hundred game, hundred Thunderdome sample size, maybe awesome. maybe, maybe the favorite, 
But after seeing his lineups, maybe maybe it's not. Yeah, I, that, that's how, that's how I feel too. I thought I thought once we saw the sports that Empire was definitely a, a, a decent favorite, but then also, like you said, you know, I know I, I can just about guess what Empire is going to play on any give on any given slate. So I know that that Alex can 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 figure it out too. But so I was like, ah, I'm like, oh, this is a coin flip, and then and then it it could like you said, it could just be small sample variance, but. Uh, based on the, the what a nine or ten or whatever slates that we've seen, I'm not sure he had much of a chance. <clears throat> no, I mean he didn't cash at all. No, zero. I mean zero. Yeah. I mean not. I mean yeah. like like nothing. Like yeah, he got fucking dog walked. Uh, it was it was yeah, it was bad. It was never close. No, but I mean I I I just expected I just I expected more. I expected better. Well, I mean, it, I mean, but that's the difference between formats. I mean, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you could be huge. great at one I mean, and not huge. so great in the other. You could, I mean, I readily admit that my biggest, my weakness is in single entry and three max contests because that's the type of game that I focus the least on. Mm-hmm. Not saying, I mean, I've done well in them. I mean, I have, I mean, but uh, because I, I, I'm very good at maximizing leverage and correlation, which is great for large field. And I'm great at, can I build the best median lineup? Right. Mm -hmm. And then once you get right in the middle, it's like, I feel like I'm, I tend to be too, I'd end up being too contrarian because I'm so concerned about, because I'm not, I'm not, but you're playing like the game changer. You're playing the 200 man contest. At least I'm playing like the, the power sweep, like 4,000. So it's still a big enough field, but I'm like, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I can't play Dalvin Cook. So I'm play Justin Jefferson. And then, I'm going to play Drew Locke. I'm going to play Drew Locke, Judy, and Fant and run it back with Julio. It's like, okay, that sounds good. But then I can't play Cook in this lineup. And then I'm going to play David Johnson, but he's going to be he's going to be owned. So I'm going to play uh, the, the opposite side of the, I'm going to play, you know, like I'm, I'm doing, I'm making too many leverage points. And then I look at my ownership and I go, yeah, I didn't have to be that contrarian. Like I didn't have to get that off the board to win this. Cause like that, I look at the three plus one that I played. And I look and it's like out of 4,000 entries, there's like 17 of them, right? So it's like there's 17 of these lineups and I'm fading. And out of the 17 lineups, like 13 have cook. So it's like now I'm one of four lineups that has no cook and that stack. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm Mm -hmm. like, like I could just play the best plays at that point. And then I, I, and then every week I do that and I still make this, I still end up like, well, I got to pivot off of this guy and I got to play correlate the defense, even though I should have played, you know, like, it, it gets there sometimes, but uh, it to me it's not a weakness. It's just that I'm I'm creating too much variance in my lineup. So like either I'm going to come in like really high or really low, but in that size field, I don't necessarily like like if I'm going to win one of those contests, it's it, I'm going to end up with those lineups. I'm going to win by like twenty points, right? It's going to mm-hmm. be one of those where your two percent owned guy and three percent owned stack, you know, just outperforms everyone, and you're sitting there. With like, wow! I'm glad I, I. Yes, great. I won. I won the the spy, but I could have won the millie maker with this lineup, the way that it was <laughs> yeah. put together. So like, at least like I'm improving to that extent, and that's why I think that the the scope of of this show. I know we didn't talk that much about the decision making that we did on this past slate, but uh, I mean, look, I, I I admitted that I made a mistake in cash games. I admitted that I'm. I'm working on getting better at single entry stuff. I'm still probably better than most people anyway. Uh, that 
learning, being open-minded to learn. I was open-minded to like, maybe there's more of a football edge than it seems to be. And then you, I just take a look at the data over the past two and a half years and go, dude, like, like, like you said, both me and you think that football is incredibly more random than people think. And then I look at the data and go, nope, it's twice as more than that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it just like I, I could say, no, 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 there has to be a pattern here. And no, no, actually people are trying to make patterns. And then I try to make, I go, okay, okay, it's more likely that I play this type of lineups. And I go, nope, it's still even more random than that. And yeah. once it get, becomes to the point where it gets so random that like, I'm just going to take 10 plus years of data and just go, are they favored? Yes. What's the spread? Seven points. Give me the running back. Does the running back get 60 plus percent of the, for, for every percent, 10%, I want 1000. So like that, like if, if he gets 60% of the snaps, I don't want to pay more than 6,000. If he gets 70% of the snaps, I don't want to pay more than 7,000. Like that, that isn't a hard rule, but like it kind of is kind of, you look and yeah. you go 10 point favorites against, like I look at James Conner against the Cowboys and go, is he going to get 70% of the snaps? He's 6,900. Is he going to get 69% of the snaps? I think so. It turns out he didn't, but I mean, because they were behind and and they're a big favorite against the Cowboys. So give it to me. Is that, that, what football information do I need? Because I'm looking at, at 10 years worth of data going, this is the most predictive that I could get. So let me just do that and not care about, well, well, if you look at his offensive tackle, he actually pulls more over here and his guard, like you're going to be wrong. You can half the time. You're going to be right. Half the time. You're going to be wrong. Why am I, why am I studying that? Yeah. It's a, per- I think it's like the perfect summary of kind of this, this conversation and, and probably even like the biggest takeaway from this year, you know, it kind of summarizes the confirmation bias stuff we're talking about, like the running back stuff we're talking about is that, and then the, the, the football guy stuff we're talking about, right? Like we, we even had this discussion, like I'm a little bit more of like a football guy to you or than you, but all this, all this shit, like we just spent, you know, a, a ton of time talking about all this DFS related stuff. And we're still trying to figure all this shit out, right. you know, and like we're, we're studying this constantly. We're admitting how much randomness there is. We're admitting things that we fucked up. We're admit like, you can't possibly cover all these incredibly important DFS concepts, right? Especially because they're evolving. Like the running back thing, it's evolving. Like it's changing the, the shit that, you know, you did, we, we, we would do two years ago is irrelevant now, you know, or borderline irrelevant now. So like, there's just not enough edge in, like you said, grinding the, the and like, like I watch the games, but like I'm not I'm not trying to spend all my time grinding the all 22 because I can't ex, I can't extract enough edge out of it. When look at all the shit that we just went through, you know, and look at all the things that we've talked about for weeks now on this show, different subjects. You can't pot like spending your time figuring all that stuff out. Because it's like I said, it's going to keep evolving, and you're going to have to keep learning. We're still learning. We're making mistakes every single week. You know, we're just trying to share the information that we're learning as we go. Like spending your time on that, like it, the perfect summary of this episode. Like you're going to get so much more valuable, uh, you know, so much more valuable information. You're going to become so much of a better DFS player, and you're going to start to make a whole lot more money than you know spending two days out of your week rewatching every football game. Right, and um, people spend. People spend their time watching every football game, like on Monday or Tuesday, right? You know mm-hmm. what I do on Monday and Tuesday? I, 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 I'm I looking through results, DB. 
Like that's that like people on, on today's Tuesday and there are already people in RG's discord going. So what are we thinking about? So-and-so on, on Sunday slate. And I'm like, I've, I've made a dummy lineup just so I could create head to heads in the lobby. Like mm-hmm. I look through and I see, okay, that if McCaffrey's out, Davis is going to be fucking mega chalk, you know, looking yeah. at that type of shit. But then like, like, no, I, how much can I learn from this past slate? How any hypothesis that I made overall for the course of the season, does it fit with what happened last week? And now I need to compare it to the week before and the week before and the week before I'm looking at, at sharp GPP players and seeing, are they adapting? So I'm looking at right. some of the, like, I'm like, okay, what was, okay. I see that some, a lot of played David Johnson, a lot of played David McGonagall, a lot of played, a lot of them played the cheap running backs and forego the high price running backs. I want to see that trend. So let me go back to week one. Let me go back to week two. And I'm looking at the same person. I'm seeing, did Utakau, how did he change? Has, has he always thought this? Is it, is it primarily these types of things? And I go to, you know, Brick 75 and I go, okay, let me take a look. I go to Awesomeo. I go to, I basically go to the top uh, RG leaderboard for the top 50 and just look giant squid, whoever, petty theft, and just go, go down and go, has their approach changed? Like, just to see if, like, did I identify a trend or am I wrong? Or did other people not? Uh, I have to assume that there's some wisdom of the crowds that, mm-hmm. like, like, I always take a look at the top 50 or whoever, the top GPP players, because, like, if I had a chance to change their, uh, that to trade their ROI for my ROI over the course of a year, like, I would in an instant. Just, like, give me your lineups and let me have your, and let me just do that. Right. So, so that's why I look at those guys and go, what are they, like, in, in aggregate, not one, but 20, 30? Like, you have to assume that 20 of the 30 most profitable GPP players in the world, like, are more likely to identify something than them all missing it. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's how I'm trying to prove my hypothesis, by going, this is what I believe. Let me see if 50 people that are more profitable than I am, more volume, that, that have more skin in the game than I do even, and I have plenty of skin in the game. Are they? Are they? Are are what they are finding and how they're playing match up with what I'm trying to do? And if the answer is yes, like I have to, I I'm more likely to be right in that instance than by watching tape or something, by by looking at that. But if I see, it could be that I look at that and I go, well, barely anyone is. Like it, it's it's less likely that 50 top players have just like. Not done it. Like, like nope, they're, they're, they're paying up. Nope. Saquon, jam them in. You know, let those McCaffrey, jam them in. You know, 40%, 40%, you know, double pay up at running back. Uh, and then I have, to, I have to think to myself, like, maybe I'm wrong, right? Like, I, I'm more likely to be wrong now than have to outsmarted 50 of the best competitors in my field. Right. So, but that's the reason you go through results DB and not, like I, I'm studying my all 22 is results DB is mm-hmm. I'm yeah. Everyone's studying the players on the field. I'm studying the players in my contests because I believe yep. I, I could find more of an edge by, Oh, they're, they're doing this thing too often or that I'm looking in the, 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 the power sweep or something going, Oh, the field is doing this too often to this less often. I see, I see three guys 
based on their past four weeks worth of spy lineups are also trying to exploit the same thing that I, that I am. They just, ha- they haven't gotten success yet exploiting in a similar direction. And I have, but they're going to hit one of these guys is going to hit. I'm going to look and go, Oh, they're noticing that the ownership is that they're, you know, I, I notice who I notice who's playing uh, Justin Jefferson in the spy. I, I know, I know who's playing Adam Thielen in the spy, like off of the Dalvin cook chalk. I know who's playing Russell Gage. Right. And it, and it's not like who played Russell Gage this week. It's okay. This guy played Justin Jefferson. Let me take a look at last week. Who was the chalkiest guy last week? And let, let me take a look at now this user's. Oh, they also played the wide receiver negatively correlated to the running back. And then I look at the week before. Oh, they also play like, like, oh, okay. They, and they're just right. They were playing at 17 weeks. One of these times, bang, leverage play. And there, and there you go. Especially in these single entry contests where guys, I mean, look, the game changer, Julio was 50% owned, right? In the power sweep, he was 35% owned. In the large field contest, he was like 25% owned. So you gained so much with Lockett was 43% owned in the game changer. He was, uh, like, if you played Metcalf, Metcalf in the game changer was 2.83% owned. Okay? So if you just played Allen Diggs Metcalf over Allen Diggs Lockett, you probably cashed. I mean, like that alone got you to minimum cash, probably. Mm-hmm. And then just to get everything else right and you won. But you couldn't do that in the large field stuff because Metcalf was more owned and Lockett was less owned. Like the, because people play right. crappier lineups and whatever. And this ownership condenses in the game changer. I'm looking through the game changer to see what users are trying to benefit on that. And if enough of them are and who's doing it. Because most likely, it's going to be the same types of people. Who's who's the who's the chalk donkeys in that contest? I'm not saying that they're donkeys, but who's playing the chalk more likely than not? And who's not? And I'm am I looking to it? May and maybe you find that most of the top fifty players are playing the chalk, and maybe maybe I'm over I'm over valuing leverage. But based mm-hmm. on my findings, I'm not. So like like I, 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 I mean that's kind of the whole point of the show. So instead, instead of grinding the tape, gr- gr- grind uh, results DB. Or, or there obviously there are other sites that have uh, you could look at past slates, and so it's not it's not just roto grinders. So you're able to do that elsewhere. I just think even as a you know uh, a quote unquote more of a football guy that 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 I am, it's like there's nothing wrong with right like w- wanting to watch the tape or like I said I'm trying I do try to pull a couple of little football things throughout the course of the year, right? Like I'm, I have, I use a football take here, here and there, but your like example with results DB is, is like an overarching point of what our priorities should be with spending our time and our process and all that. There's nothing wrong with at the end of the day, right? If there's some 2% guy that you're like, Oh my God, I saw something and this is what I have to play. And every once in a while that does happen. At the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. And what matters is repeating, like you said, repeating this DFS process, re- repeating playing this game the right way over 17 plus weeks. That's that's where you should be spending the overwhelming majority of your time. Um, and then, yeah, you know, if you want to, you know, get your hand in the dirt a little bit, like I like to sometimes, by all means, ha- ha- have some fun. You know, if that's what you if that's what you like to do, that's fine. But I think uh, we talked about it earlier that 
people really need to kind of take a step back and realize like, you know, like I said, I, I fucked this up for a long time and lost a lot before I realized what your real, you know, priority should be in, in learning DFS. And, um, I think, you know, everybody be way better off. You'll see, I think you'll see unreal results, like way, way quicker, um, spending all your time kind of studying results DB and, and studying the, just the overall game theory aspect of, of things than you will, you know, like you said, uh, the left guard for the Pittsburgh Steelers is, you know, going to whoop the the defensive tackles ass. Like none of that shit really matters, even if you think it does. Right. And you could get all of the, you could get, you get that education with uh, the theory of daily fantasy sports, the uh, 15 hour audio DFS masterclass at theory of DFS.com. Coming up Christmas time. You can get it as a Christmas <laughs> present or something or for uh, it. Uh, for the for the cost of it, it's an ever it's an evergreen piece of content. You could you could listen to this five years for, as long as DFS is around. It 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 it's it's evergreen. You could listen to this. I've I've gotten emails of people that I'm already on my third time listening through, and every time that I listen through, I pick up new things, and I implement that. And like I played that slate before, and I saw oh now that I re heard that, I realized what my mistake was, or. I implemented that and I got eighth place in a GPP. Like, like, oh, I've never gotten this high in a GPP before. And now, I mean, if I got into it, now my, my, your apps and people would say, said, I know why you're, the people have replied. I know why you're so upset at some of these questions, right? Cause they like, <laughs> like now I'm making lineups that make so much more sense. And it's not about the players that I pick. Like I'm making good lineups for outcomes. And that's like, yeah, like, and they say to me, like, yeah, for three years, I've been asking, uh, like, people on streams, like, should I play this guy or this guy? And you're absolutely right. That's such a dumb fucking question. Because <laughs> without context, that, like, that, other than who do you think is going to do well and you're a fortune telling, like, why, why does that have to do with your lineup at all? Mm-hmm. And you can't answer it. So, like, this is the type of stuff that's in the course. You could follow Eric at Eric Bime 4. Eric with a K. Nailed it. Right? Nailed it. Eric Bime 4. Yep. Which which get send him a wedding wedding present of uh what 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 can we, what, what what wedding gifts can we can we send you? We have like all the household shit. So oh, uh, just how about alcohol? Why don't we just say anything? I was just, I was gonna say two to the two most important things in my life now are, are gambling and alcohol because we have all the random shit around the house. So any combination, anything in that realm, there we go. I'll be good with that. Right, Matt. Matt, did Matt send you? Matt sent Matt sent a household item. How fucked up is that? How, Matt you has kidding like th- me? The Matt guy that would like have more whiskey of- that you'd have nothing to do with, then he sent you household items. <laughs> yeah, it was bullshit. Like that's, we that's got the we got the bullshit. gift in. Uh, Alyssa's opening it. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is from Matt. What? Where's my whiskey? Right. You expected some like you know fifty year old something you know <laughs> small batch something or other, right? And it's exactly. just like, oh great spatulas. <laughs> We don't need spatula racks. Come on. We can, we can live without any of the, we can live without utensils as long as we have alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So you can follow me at blender HD on Twitter or theory of DFS.com. Send in your questions, questions at theory of DFS.com. I've been responding. You know, it, I could respond via email. We have stuff for the show. Uh, and same for Twitter, but I mean, it, the email is so much, I, I could save it better an email so I could remember it. But I, re- I replied to pretty much DMs and everything. As long as you're not asking player questions, 
or like like on this individual lineup. Like I'm not I'm not playing for you. Like I don't like being your butler of like, oh, this is my lineup for tomorrow's slate. Do you think I should play? Like 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 I'll answer strategy questions, but like you have to, you to, don't tell me what players you're playing or should I play? Like like that's you're you're, you're it's like uh it's like a football coach going to the opposite sideline and go, do you think I could should run a draw play here? against your defense or like we're, we're playing we're kind of playing against each other. So like after the fact we could have that conversation. Like if you want to like Monday, like, Oh, what do you think of my line? Okay. At least then it's like, well, uh, maybe you should have correlated this better or just, it looks good. Okay. You just didn't get there. So you could do that. Questions at the, DF, uh, at theory of DFS.com and, uh, and, and send, send all the whiskey you can to, to, to Eric. You can probably DM me for an address or something. I didn't send. I didn't send you anything. Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to send you well, a wedding well, gift? Now, well, now you have to. Now that you brought it up. What should I send you? I should send you a head-to-head invite. That's yeah, what I should. There you do. go. <laughs> send me a one. Yeah, send me a one k. Oh no, no, I'm not, no, no. You're not worth that much. No, I'll send you. I'll send. I'll send you a five dollar head-to-head, and I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll make sure not to. I'll make sure that lineup I never late swap. So like now Perfect. you have an you you got a little EV off of me. I'm sending you just a tad bit of EV that I, I'm telling you, especially for this coming week, when we have five games, six games, we're gonna play a five dollar head to head. I'm serious about this. I'm gonna yep. send you a five dollar head to head for whatever lineup would you play in the spy whatever contest you're in, and I guarantee that I will not late swap that lineup. So I'm playing all I'm playing all afternoon players. Oh you oh you are. I mean, but again, That's what I'll do. Well, you know, you know how much play. EV you're getting off of that? You're, it's probably 20 cents. So, yeah, but, it, but if I'm giving out EV, that means yeah, you, you, you know that you mean something to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys next week on the Theory of DFS podcast.